broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Welcome to this edition of Cultural Baggage. If you watched 60 Minutes this past Sunday, you've already met our guest, and I'll let the good folks at CBS introduce him once again. To his supporters, he's the Prince of Pot, the leader of the marijuana legalization movement, who's also the proud proprietor of a multi-million dollar marijuana business. I say come and arrest me. To the U.S. government, he's one of the biggest drug dealers in North America. Today, to our knowledge, Mark Emery is the biggest purveyor of marijuana from Canada into the United States. Here's the amazing part. Mark Emery admits it. And were you surprised to learn that the DEA spent 18 months and a great deal of money to get you charged? I'm flattered. And with that, I'd like to introduce our guest, Mr. Mark Emery. Are you with us, sir? Dean Becker, how are you? I'm well, sir. I, I want to let folks know that this past fall, I went up to uh, Seattle and Vancouver. I spent some time at uh, Mark's apartment he was moving out of and uh, enjoyed the gracious goodness of uh, the city of Vancouver. I, I, I thank you once again, Mark. Well, and you, like everyone else that I've ever met, has never thought of me as a drug dealer, including mayors of this city, uh, leaders of political parties in the parliament, uh, cabinet ministers, uh, senators in our parliament. I have been friends and acquaintances with many of these people for a long, long time. Everybody in Canada knew what I was doing, and it was a brilliant plan, too. It, 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 and it's still working, my friend. It's not over at all, is it? Oh, well, listen, I, we just because we don't sell seeds anyway doesn't mean any... We've, you know, the DEA boasted on the day I was arrested, July 29th last year, they boasted that they had put an end to my activities and this thing, but they've done nothing of the sort. And, of course, they hate my arrogance in even saying so on radio programs like yours. In fact, on Monday, I'm going to do Chicago, and then I'm doing New York on Tuesday. The China Daily News is here on Tuesday as well. And, of course, I've just been doing endless amounts of media internationally and in within Canada, the United States, and I am constantly saying the same thing. Yesterday to the Associated Press, I told the Associated Press that I am obligated as the leader of the cannabis culture to try and thwart the U.S. government and the U.S. government's war on drugs, which has reached Kafka-esque proportions. And, of course, this drives them apoplectic to the degree that now the DEA and the Bush administration's drug office is calling me the biggest uh, marijuana dealer of all time because they're saying that every one of my seeds is equivalent to a plant, and since I sold millions of seeds i've hence sold millions of plants and that would make me qualified for the death penalty as a drug kingpin if you sell over sixty thousand kilos or are responsible for cultivating more than sixty thousand plants then you qualify from the newt gingrich congress passed in 1995 i qualify for the death penalty because i sold way more than that and uh, and i'm proud of it too and so we've got this real clash of of cultures here the drug war culture the punishment culture and then we've got the 
we've got our culture that believes that marijuana brings enlightenment. And after all, all the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people I dealt with in the last 10 years were all consenting. Never received a single complaint in all those years. And, you know, we got that money from people, millions of dollars, and we gave it all away. I'm responsible for at least $4 million given out to organizations all over the world. Uh, we gave money to the Israeli Marijuana Party, for example, in 2000, and the New Zealand Marijuana Party in 1999, $6,000. We give money to global marijuana marches, Supreme Court cases, bail funds to get other activists out of jail. We've sponsored ballot initiatives in Washington, D.C., Arizona, Nevada, Alaska. We've given tens of thousands of dollars to each of these initiatives at various times. And, you know, everybody gave me that money, understanding that not only would they get great seats, but they would know that money was going to a great cause and to a great movement, and that I didn't keep any of it myself. Well, you know, Mark, uh, talking about you as a drug kingpin is, uh, if not for the seriousness of the situation, would be quite a laugh. You you don't sell marijuana in the first place. It is God who no, put that D plan here. The DEA tried to buy it from me. When they came over and bought seeds, the DEA agent asked to buy 10 pounds of pot. She asked me on the cell phone, and I had to lecture her over the cell phone. I said, it's a foolish thing you can should do. I said, I presume my phones are always monitored 24 hours a day by the police. So if you're calling me and asking for 10 pounds, that's the height of foolishness. So then the DEA agent comes in person and says, you know, where can I get 10 pounds? And I had to lecture again. I said, you know, you're going to get caught if you keep asking questions like that. I said, you have no experience. You're going to get caught. You're being foolish by asking to buy marijuana like that, 10 pounds. You have no experience. It's foolish. And so they had to admit during the extradition hearing, the first one, that yes, Mr. Emery refused to sell marijuana and said he doesn't do that sort of thing, right? So all they've really got are these seeds, but boy, have they made me... Do you know the DEA's Karen Tandy, the head of the Drug Enforcement Administration, said when I was arrested that I was the number one drug trafficking kingpin in Canada and one of the top 46 kingpins in the whole world. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh man, I have so, like, risen in stature. Even I could never have developed a, a profile of myself that is so lofty. And uh, at least if I get sentenced to federal prison for the rest of my life, I will be at least accorded some degree of respect from the other convicts, I suspect. Well, you you mentioned Karen Tandy, and she proved how much it was a political move. And and uh, I want to include one more uh, sound bit from uh, that uh, CBS 60 Minutes. Well, I'm, I'm not interested in his cause. I'm not interested in his political beliefs. What I'm interested in is the fact that he has distributed drugs in the United States, huge quantities of drugs. People of Pot TV land, I am... He calls himself the Prince of Pot, but he may become the Prince of Federal Prison. You know, they, they have the audacity to, again, say they don't have a political motive. And, and it's obvious that they do. Again, Karen Tandy said that they had stripped the funding from uh, the legalization movement by that effort. Uh, and I admit it. If, if Mark is guilty, I am just as guilty. He provided me with money when I was looking under a bridge for a home. He made it possible for the Drug Truth Network to continue. And, again, I want to well, thank we've, you. We've sponsored so many things, Dean, all over North America. Wonderful things. And you know what? No one ever turned the money down. No politician, no drug addiction clinic, no media, no political party, no politician, no one. Millions of dollars I gave away and no one ever questioned that, oh, I'm not down with this money coming from seeds. Everybody was into it. They all thought it was a brilliant idea. And I never had a single letter of criticism in 11 years. 
Well, and again, this Drug Truth Network, in the four going on five years, we've never had one letter of complaint. Though we, uh, I want to uh, let folks know we now uh, have 52 stations. I don't have the call letters in front of me, but a uh, outfit up in Seattle, uh, near you, Mark, has uh, gone online with the Drug Truth Network as well. Well, great to hear. And I will say this, though. People should uh, write the Justice Minister of Canada if they're concerned, because... <coughs> The Canadian government would benefit by this in the same way the U.S. government thinks they'll benefit. They'll get rid of the biggest thorn in the side of the, the prohibition policies of these two governments. Both these governments are controlled by the police, by the vested interests, by the punishers, by the people in power who think that the proper purpose of government is to punish people's peaceful, honest lifestyle choices. And so we have this government in Washington, D.C., and we also have one now in Ottawa, Canada, and they both are on the same wavelength. People should be punished for their peaceful, honest lifestyle choices. And of course, marijuana is a very peaceful, honest lifestyle choice with much healthier benefits to the individual than almost any other kind of euphoric you could try. And so many people need it for medicine and industrial reasons. It's just the most beautiful plant. The idea of criminalizing the people who believe in the marijuana plant is absolutely the most anti-Christian thing you could you could ever do for governments that claim to be very Christian-based. The Bible clearly admonishes us. If man was made in God's image, according to Genesis 1.27, and then God commands us to make use of all these seed-bearing fruits and use them as meat, and then God in Genesis Genesis 131 looked upon the entire earth and said it was all good. And so God didn't say no man should decide that I made an error here and terminate my plants and exterminate them. It doesn't say anything about that. The Ten Commandments has nothing there about drugs or taking plants. Nowhere in the Old Testament does anyone ever admonish people not to take plants. So even these people and their base philosophy cannot justify marijuana prohibition and certainly not the pernicious cruelty that leads 5 to 10 15 year sentences 20 year sentences hell Weldon Angelo's got 55 years in January 2006 merely 6 weeks ago for selling a few ounces of pot to undercover agents unbelievable America's become a nightmare of prisons and punishment and they want it to spread to Canada I uh, read a story about a gentleman in uh, Hutspeth, Texas, I believe it is, who was shot ten times by a cop. And it turns out that uh, he had no drugs, but that he had uh, marijuana in his system. And uh, I don't know how that's going to resolve. But it's, it's just an example of the outrageous tactics. Yeah. Uh, Mark, I, I want to ask you, you are charged with, as they say, providing marijuana, but it was seeds. Yeah, yeah, see, what happens is they say I'm selling seeds correct, and then they say because that pe those, those seeds became marijuana with individuals in the United States, then I'm conspiring to produce marijuana, so hence the manufacturer. I like how they use the word manufacturer as if plants are manufactured, right? Uh, i got to figure they grow. It's like saying humans are manufactured, you know? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I'm selling the seeds, and that brings me into being a conspirator in a plan to grow the seeds out into marijuana and then because people sent me money and I gave it away to millions and millions of dollars to good purpose including I gave I, I funneled $7,000 to Dennis Kucinich for president in 2004 I gave money to all sorts of politicians by giving it to Americans to give to those candidates because that's what my mandate is people sent me the money hoping that that money would be directed towards those institutions and those groups and those people and those organizations who are doing the most effective job to legalize marijuana that was the whole 
purpose of this idea 11 years ago, is that we'd sell seeds, we'd overgrow the government, we'd make so much marijuana in North America that the government's prohibition attempts would be futile. And I always like the idea that one person alone could undermine and, and negate the efforts of the billion-dollar DEAs and, and police organizations. Of course, these things drive them apoplectic. That's why Bob Simon of 60 Minutes says they want me really bad. Even my lawyer says they want me really bad. And, you know, they, they think they will give me life imprisonment without parole. for. Or, and if I was an American, they'd try and give me the death sentence because I am the first person to qualify, and they would do what the Bush administration thinks they would like to do, and that scare the hell out of the American and Canadian people about marijuana and its consequences under law. Uh, Mark, uh, truth be told, probably in one shipment of Mexican marijuana that comes across the border, time uh, truck after truck each day, there's more seeds than you shipped uh, in the, the whole career of, of your organization. Well, and that's true. And not only that, you know, if a person growing marijuana in their home were to not pay attention and they got some males in there, they themselves would have fifty to 100,000 seeds. And uh, without wanting them, that would be a, a plain, awful uh, occasion for them, you see. So seeds in, the, in most people's hands have no value. They wouldn't want them. But because we were very intelligent about it and offered people this massive choice of more than 500 varieties, specializing for whatever they needed, whether for medical reasons or a specific disease or a specific ailment or a specific plant genotype, we could provide that for them. We were the world's largest providers to medical marijuana patients throughout the world without question. We were the largest providers. And none of that, we gave thousands of them free seeds if they were on disability or had official exemptions or any number of things. So, you know, the Canadian government actually sent people to my website to buy seeds during the legal mar medical marijuana program here when people did not know where to get seeds. The government sent them to me. So the hypocrisy is, is incredible. The, the complicity of all Canadians is obvious because everyone knew what I was doing. Everybody took advantage of the money. Everybody invited me to speak. Every major media knew exactly what I was doing it had interviewed me extensively all the politicians in the country knew and yet none of them ever sent me a letter of criticism no, I never got a cease and desist order nothing like that at all and so now to spirit me off for the rest of my life to the United States for something that's peaceful and honest that's never harmed anybody is probably the most and remember, a multiple murderer in Canada can only get 25 years. I will get more than what a multiple murderer in this country would get for an offense that no one in Canada has ever gone to jail for. No one's ever gone to jail for seeds in Canada. The most, the last time someone got fined was $200 in 2000 for selling seeds. <coughs> That's how inconsequential it is here in Canada. Well, you know, there's, uh, I think, a misperception in the United States, at least, that uh, the, the people... Uh, in Canada have it made, but uh, with this new government, I've heard that they're cracking down again, that the, the folks with the Overgrow organization have been uh, uh, hassled or arrested, perhaps, and that uh, there was a recent bust of a cannabis-friendly cafe as well. It, what's the general attitude in Canada? To me? No, no, sir. I mean just to, to cannabis. Is it changing? Is it getting more like well, the U.S.? Well, it depends. You know, the, in the large urban centers, there's a great deal more tolerance than there are in the rural areas, and that's always the case. Although a lot of pot has grown in rural areas, people who live in rural areas change slowly. Their ideas of their community change slowly. That's why they live there. If they wanted to be in a dynamic engine of new ideas and new evolving circumstances, they'd live in big cities where you attract you know, foreigners and immigrants and gay people and pot people and vegetarians and punkers and artists and this sort of thing. Whereas 
if you're in, say, Regina, uh, Saskatchewan, or Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's for the same reason people live in Montgomery, Alabama, is because they didn't move there. They've lived there all their life, and they like it in the slow pace of change that goes on in that community. A lot of people are uncomfortable with change because it means they have to change, and it means they have to adapt. And although humans were built to adapt, a lot of people don't like it. So they live in small, slow-changing communities so they don't have to confront these things. If you like change, you move to the city. So cities in Canada are against this conservative government. Not a single of the major cities elected anyone from the conservative party who are now the government in Canada. No one from Van- Nobody was elected from Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal. The three major centers where, you know, where almost half the country's population live, at least 10 million in those three cities. Uh, not a single Conservative Party member was elected. They come exclusively from rural, and I dare say to some degree, backward places. And that's the kind of, just like George Bush is elected from, let's face it, those aren't intellectual centers uh, of great enlightenment that voted George Bush. And when you look at that map, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a real good free-thinking university in there. You'll find a lot of Christian universities. You'll find a lot of state universities. But you're not going to find Harvard in there. You're not going to find Stanford in there. You're not going to find Ivy League in there. You're not going to find any of the leading leading universities of the day in any of the states that elected George Bush. And with the education system in the United States deteriorating and eroding daily, it's all part of a deliberate plan by the Republicans to dumb down the United States to the degree that they can buy into the lies that a government as corrupt as George Bush is can sell to them. Well, we've been speaking with Mr. Mark Emery, publisher of Cannabis Culture magazine, who's under indictment wanting the U.S. wants to extradite him for selling seeds. Uh, Mark, uh, a closing thought. We got about 30 seconds. Uh, you want to give him a website or what, whatever you'd like to say? Well, we encourage people to find out more. If you want to see the 60 Minutes episode in its entirety, uh, the up segment with me, you can go to www.pot.tv. And on that front page, you'll see the 60 Minutes program, and you can watch it right there. And I would recommend that and going to our website, CannabisCulture.com, our companion site to POT TV. Mark Emery, I I thank you, sir. I look forward to the day I can see you again. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. It's time to play Name That Drug by its side effects. Nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, or constipation, sleepiness, abnormal dreams, confusion, dizziness, hallucinations, severe confusion, difficulty breathing, suicidal thoughts, unconsciousness, car crash, and death. Time's up. The answer, it's back in the news again. A top ten seller in the U.S., Ambien. Another FDA-approved product. And now for another black perspective on the drug war. One of the key messages of the Drug Truth Network is the importance of harm reduction. That is, putting our efforts into those things which cause the most harm, rather than wasting our limited resources on those things which cause little or no harm at all. The African-American community has been damaged by a number of addictive substances, some more harmful than others. If they were ranked according to actual damage done, diminished health, loss of life, and physical suffering, you might be very surprised at what substances top that list. Pop quiz. What drug am I describing? It's a plant extract, refined to a white crystalline powder. It's a highly addictive, mood-altering drug. It's highly destructive to the body and a factor in many dread diseases, including cancer, cystic fibrosis, and multiple sclerosis. This drug is used in the manufacture of tobacco and may be responsible for all the harmful qualities of American cigarettes. In fact, this drug is why African slaves were brought to the Americas in the first place. Don't have it yet?
I'm talking about sugar. Yes, simple sugar. And the pushers put it in almost everything you eat and drink. If harm reduction is our goal, perhaps some of the main battles of the drug war should be fought on the supermarket aisles of America. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Phil Jackson. Coke is the drink of the death squads. We couldn't do this worse if we tried. And again, we did try, but it's just getting worse, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I haven't heard anything back from the ONDCP or the DEA. They uh, still appear to be cowards. A quick word about the drug war and why it's good. The government understands that the good people of America do not want our streets festering with junkies and whores. This is precisely the environment that drug legalization would provide, a fact not often mentioned by drug legalization advocates. On Friday, March 10, 2006, in Geelong, Australia, Dr. Mario Marchesani was accused of drug trafficking and indecent assault. The female witness, who was not named, admitted that over a 10-year period she had an escalating drug habit that involved everything from marijuana to heroin. At the height of her addiction, she would do whatever she could to get money for drugs, but, quote, preferred turning to prostitution. Dr. Mario Marchesani was more than happy to oblige, giving her injections of morphine in exchange for oral sex. So think twice before you advocate drug legalization. You might as well send your daughter over to the good doctor's house yourself. This has been Winston Francis with the official Government Truth. And of course, the truth be told that if these drugs were freely available or regulated, distribu distributed by the state, people could uh, take a minor amount of money and purchase what they need without having to resort to crime or whoring on the street. Fifty billion down the drain. To cops and wardens, it's insane. Five hundred billion to drug lords, because it's a dirty little war. 1.6 million users every year behind bars to squelch your fear. Insanity's not in a little pill. Please pony up another 50 bill. It's a dirty little drug war run by charlatans and whores. This is Phil Smith of the Drug War Chronicle with this week's Corrupt Cop Stories for the Drug Truth Network. This week we've got something for everybody. We've got cops as gangsters, DEA agents as thieving real estate speculators, a Texas police chief who never let any drug evidence get away, cops in Miami and Chicago planning drugs, evidence gone missing in East St. Louis, and of course another greedy prison guard, this time in Georgia. Here are two of the stories. In Los Angeles, at least 19 people, including five police officers, have been charged with belonging to a ring led by LAPD officer Ruben Palomares that committed armed robberies disguised as drug raids. Thirteen had previously been charged in the case, but six more were indicted last week, including a former L.A. County Sheriff's deputy, an LAPD officer, and a Long Beach police officer. They faced multiple counts of conspiracy to possess drugs with intent to distribute, use of a firearm in a drug trafficking crime, and deprivation of rights under color of law. Paulo Marius allegedly supplied his gang with uniforms, radios, and badges, and the group sometimes used LAPD patrol cars to drive to the drug houses they had previously targeted. The victims were allegedly restrained, threatened, beaten, and robbed. The gang made off with at least 600 pounds of weed, TVs, jewelry, cash, and weapons. 
Paul Mares is currently serving a 15-year sentence for his role. More trials are pending. Meanwhile, over in Atlanta, a federal grand jury indicted a DEA agent Monday for stealing DEA funds to buy real estate while he worked at Atlanta's Hartsfield Airport. Agent Gregory Campion, age 44, is charged with embezzling money as a federal officer, embezzling public funds, and money laundering. According to the indictment, on at least seven occasions, Campion stole money seized during drug bust from a secure storage facility in Orlando, where he currently lives. Prosecutors are seeking to seize those properties. The DEA has suspended Campion without pay. As always, there are more corrupt cop stories. Check them out online at www.stopthedrugwar.org. Yet another piece of federal propaganda about methamphetamines hit the news last week. The Federal Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration released figures showing that the number of meth users going into treatment increased greatly from 1993 to 2003, actually quadrupling. What didn't make it into the news release or into the articles it generated were these facts. First, treatment alternatives to incarceration programs and drug courts expanded dramatically during that decade. Also in that time, Arizona's Drug Treatment and Education Fund and California's Prop 36 were enacted into law through voter initiatives. These programs mandate treatment for drug-using offenders and even prevent offenders who simply test positive for drugs from being violated and thrown into jail. Not surprisingly, California was one of the states with higher-than-average rates of referrals to treatment. Secondly, data does show that there was a notable increase in reported methamphetamine use in the early and mid-1990s. That increase had leveled off by 2000. The feds aren't the only ones who are spinning out methamphetamine misinformation. The states have also gotten into the act. In Iowa recently, when the drugs are visited to try propping up Republican poll numbers, officials there noted that Iowa's anti-pseudoephedrine law which has resulted in a decrease in the number of small meth labs in the state, had also resulted in a decrease in the number of children being referred to protective services because of exposure to meth labs. While technically true, it's only part of the story. A study done late last year for the Iowa Department of Human Services found that the number of children being seized from their parents because of methamphetamine use remains steady in spite of the law. Just as other states have learned, the number of meth users has not declined, even though Iowa has been cracking down on meth for the past few years. Now, instead of making their own meth or getting it from a friend, users are getting meth which has been imported from Mexico. Much of that is the more powerful, smokable form known as ICE. Thanks in part to new anti-cold medicine laws, established drug trafficking networks control the methamphetamine market. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. Poppygate, bizarre news about the U.S. policy on controlling heroin, featuring Glenn Greenway. In the Texas-sized nation of Afghanistan, poppy is king. The U.N. announced on March 2nd that this year's harvest is likely to exceed last year's bumper crop. Two days later, armed with 100 tractors, Afghan poppy eradication crews began grinding up fields of young seedlings in Helmand province. Helmand borders Iran and is the new site of Camp Bastion, the largest British military base built since World War II. Local authorities report that poppy cultivation there has doubled in the last year. The province has earned the nickname Opium Land by international anti-drug officials. 
However, following Washington's lead, the British regional commander has announced that his forces will play no part in either drugs eradication or interdiction. Afghanistan's poppies are the source of at least a third and perhaps more than half of the country's income and are the source of nine-tenths of the world's black market heroin. Since the U.S. effectively restored the illegal trade in 2001, Afghan heroin production has surged 27-fold. While uncountably many throughout the world suffer from the scourge of drugs prohibition, Poppy Bush's fortunate son has staked America's fortune on Afghanistan's King Poppy. This is Glenn Greenway reporting for the Drug Truth Network. I want to thank that group of reporters. Those guys put in a lot of effort, and uh, I think it's important that we hear how diverse this set of problems are uh, that we call the drug war. And these guys do an excellent job. If you'd like to uh, get involved, if you would like to become a reformer, there's a lot of ways you can do that. And I would suggest you begin by visiting our website, which is end prohibition.org you can also call your US congressman toll free at 1-800-985-8762 that's a 24 hour a day 7 day a week number 1-800-985-8762 uh, we're down to uh, the closing seconds here and I I want to invite you to do what you can to help end this madness and as always I remind you because of drug prohibition you don't know what's in that bag please be careful to the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth. The show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Tap dancing on the edge of the